0: Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. There's a new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction. In its next episode, titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's a short preview. anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this Uh, yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen. What it would be like. Feel like. I just, I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen.
2: what's up everyone it's noah daniels and on this episode it's just me hosting the episode but i do have a really exciting guest you know her as my bloody Galantine, aka becky or i guess becky aka my bloody galentine <laughs> <laughs> that's on your birth certificate well actually anyway we don't need to get into that i'm getting lost in the weeds um becky thank you so much for coming on the episode
3: Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to be here.
2: Yeah, and on this episode, we will be talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. More specifically, you had an opportunity that is pretty rare to come by these days.
3: Yeah, uh, um, they actually invited me into the home and museum, personal museum of Ed and Lorraine Warren with all the art- artifacts, which has been close to the public for quite some time now.
2: And, you know, I was refreshing myself on the Warrens today before we did this episode. Obviously, I think most people at a very minimum know that the Conjuring movie universe is based on the Warrens. That's how I was introduced to them. I had forgotten, though, that Ed was a self-proclaimed demonologist, which I think is so interesting that so many of the people in the paranormal universe, I will ask, you know, like, hey, do you believe in demons? Do you believe in kind of the dark side of the spirits? Um, Which has also kind of been the fantastical side in movies and TV, right? And he dove headfirst into all of that. So I I know, obviously, we'll go through all the um, experiences you had in the home, but something I I am curious, when you were there, did you feel any bad vibes, I guess is the easiest way to ask the question?
3: So for me... A lot of it's going to be psychological because I've seen the films. Um, I tried to consume as little as possible of the film content before going. Like I've seen them, but I didn't need to be refreshed on it. When I pulled up to the house, it is nestled in the woods. The sun kind of just shines through the trees and you have that like beautiful, like ray of sunshine going through the leaves like that, like just ambience and, um, that it makes you feel like you're kind of in snow white. Like it's a very secluded, beautiful area in Connecticut, actually. When you enter the street, you're encountered by a... a sign that says, do not enter museum closed. We will call the police. There's about a dozen of these signs when you go up. So that adds to the, Oh, I'm not supposed to be here immediately. But when you pull up, it's, it's just very peaceful. The gazebo is there that um, was featured in the conjuring three. So I'm feeling actually pretty warm and good. These are people of the same interests and hobbies and I guess, profession for them that I share. So For me, I wasn't feeling that on the outside. When I entered the building, I definitely had a different change, but it wasn't like I didn't feel like I was in danger at any point.
2: That's really interesting. Obviously, I have never been to that area. So I'm guessing, you know, with the popularity of the Warrens, they must have had instances where people were either trying to break in or, you know, sneak views of what's going on. When you got the invite to go and do this, Did you ever imagine that an organization of that level would invite you in to see haunted or alleged haunted artifacts that the Warrens have collected?
3: So the first time you and I had spoke was shortly after my first time at the Conjuring House. So I had a bucket list of places that I'd love to go in New England and things that I wanted to see. And that was the off-limits one. I had actually, when I first moved to Connecticut, drove past just to see, because sometimes you can drive past, you know, maybe get in or like run into someone, but it's not like that at all. It's very much like they no entry at all. I never imagined being able to go in there because the people who are invited in, if you looked, are typically celebrities. Like there, there's a handful of celebrities that have gone, cast from the films have gone. It's very... on who they let in. So I didn't expect to ever be going there, especially because the museum has become like such a significant part of pop culture history, not just paranormal history. Like once it hit the pop culture significance, it's like this is no longer getting in the paranormal community. This is like, you know, you really have to know someone to get in there, I feel like.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the big ticket item is Annabelle because of the movie that um, was based off of Annabelle. But before we jump into Annabelle, were there any other items that surprised you that you saw while you were there?
3: Oh, boy. So uh, there's, I guess, what beacon like pivotal items in there things that people are drawn to that they know the story of that aren't Annabelle, which leaves a lot for the Conjuring universe to have content to kind of go off of. So when you walk in, you're there's a sign that's like a little bit of a warning um they actually have a stained glass window with a cross on it so that was like an interesting detail it it literally is like stepping into fantasy for a Hmm. second because it's like Wow, okay. So they they really went all out with this. And as you walk in, you're greeted by the shadow doll. The shadow doll was created with the intent to curse people. So supposedly, if you send a photo of her to someone, oh, and she's nasty too. She's got a human tooth in her mouth, yeah. made of paper mache, like these human-looking eyes, and kind of just feathers from her shoulder with nails sticking out she's very nasty looking and if you send a photo of her with the name of the person you intend to curse on the back allegedly they'll become cursed have nightmares where they, they kind of the doll visits them they'll haunt the nightmares or give them nightmares so scary that it could stop their heart hmm. I'm not entirely sure of the origin but that is the legend behind her um I don't believe that they kind of present that as fact that's just kind of what the legend has transpired to be over the years and looking at her it's just like in the case it's like she looks back at you so i joked and i was like you know annabelle has a couple roommates right so (laughs) that was one of them um another really interesting one was the devil made me do it case from the conjuring three where arnie Mm -hmm. cheyenne johnson um got involved in an altercation with his landlord and ended up essentially murdering him and then you know, and just serving five years in prison for that. Before the murder had occurred, one of the glassle brothers had been possessed. And during his possession, this toy dinosaur allegedly said, You're all gonna die. And it moved on its own volition across the floor. So that now has an Annabelle S case that one of the members of Nesper has put together. That's absolutely it's a beautiful case, interesting history there. Um I'm kind of walking you through all of the yeah, the very important a, guys. Yeah. I have a
2: question on the because I didn't know that about the dinosaur. So that dinosaur was actually Man, it's really dark, but I mean, it, it's a part of the history of that murder. Then,
3: mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Wow, what was that like to? Because I know you know you're a bit of an empath, and you've seen a lot, you've discovered a lot. Is is it? I mean, you know, you're a mortician, so I mean, death is is nothing new for you. But it, was it unsettling at all to know that this object was a corner, alleged cornerstone for a murder?
3: I think along with many of the other artifacts in the museum, I don't feel that attachment to it as much as I feel the fear of the families or whoever had given up these items Mm. and maybe residual fear of people. I can't imagine being so afraid and like feeling something like that had occurred. Um, But I, I didn't think much about that until I, I think there were other objects that felt a little bit more involved because the murder had occurred at a kennel actually in Connecticut that is still in operation. Hmm. And the dinosaur had happened in another household. So, to me, thinking about that, I just don't know if I believe that the entity that ended up producing the murder was actually attached to that dinosaur or mm-hmm. if that was something that was projected by fear.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I just. I'm trying to put myself uh, being there as you walk us through this, and and it, it and kind of going back to Ed's fascination with the dark side of you know the spirit realm. Even though we're just kind of in the antithesis of your story, you can really see what his interest led to, and what was collected in that museum.
3: And you know, a lot of people have reached out and had comments about the museum and in my realm and the way i think of it these people they were taking things off the hands of people that they didn't want anymore the validity the investigation behind it doesn't matter because they just said okay we'll take that from you and help you out and that's all i really think about it in that case and i don't know uh, it if the hauntings, if the curses, if the fear were only projected in the households of these people, or if, you know, some of that's still attached, it definitely is, is interesting. You know, when I walked in, I immediately was like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. But really? again, you know, I, when I have a physiological symptom, I don't know If that's related to that, because Mm. I I can't definitively say we don't we didn't investigate, they don't allow people really to investigate in there. So when I went in, I was just like, do you guys have an upset stomach or just me and uh, the whole place is dark. So one thing that did affect our interaction with the place is that we left the door open the entire time. When the door was closed, the place is just completely dark. Oh, you have kind of the red glow of the the cross, stained glass cross beaming in. And I was like I was coughing. Like I was standing in front of Annabelle. I'm like, like trying to function. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like I need water. I was really struggling in there. So, um, but then, yeah, it's like meeting celebrities back to back when you read the stories of these objects and they've been published online or on news articles and then seeing them in person, it's just kind of like, you know, one by one, it's like, Oh, that's the dinosaur I read about. Oh, the shadow doll. And then you slowly kind of make your way around the corner and then and then there's Annabelle. So,
2: so it does build to Annabelle. You don't just walk Mm -hmm. right in and there's Annabelle. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, so what, before you got to Annabelle, were there any other objects that stuck out to you?
3: Yeah. Uh, so another big one is it's kind of interesting to bring it up this week because of the location that it was found, but there is an idol So it's a carved statue with horns and these kind of deep blue eyes that was found by Ed Warren in the woods. It was obtained from Sandy Hook for full transparency. Hmm. And that's another one of the big objects that people kind of gravitate towards and has more of a legend or lore behind it. Now, as far as it actually causing any actions... I don't know. They describe it as a satanic worship idol. To me, I'm friends with people who practice Satanism. So the grounded side of me is going to say, I don't believe this was used in satanic worship. However, I can't identify what this object is. I I, I don't know what it is. it is. It's unusual. It doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. Some of these objects, I'm like, How did they even encounter these? They do look like set up perfectly for film. And I don't think they were making them. So allegedly someone had been walking in the woods, a a younger guy, and he saw it and it kind of startled him. And then the guy who allegedly worshipped this idol kind of came up behind him and was standing near him and and creeping him out a little bit. And he was like, I got to tell Ed Warren about this. And then Ed went and retrieved the, the object. Some may use the word stole, stole it. but <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tomato, tomato, I guess. <laughs> since you visited the home and, and the museum, has it surprised you by anybody who's reached out to you since visiting?
3: I have heard from everyone in the world about this since I've been there. Uh, a lot of people who were shocked, people who had been there, who'd had experiences, people who have visited and had things they claimed happened to them after visiting. People who actually someone was like, hey, my mom actually gave this artifact uh, to the Warrens. And she's like, I don't know if it's still there. It was a necklace. And I thought that's interesting because there is a necklace there that's a famed necklace. But I don't know if there are other necklaces involved. Mm -hmm. And that's the next object we kind of roll into is the pearl necklace. Now the lady had put on this pearl necklace and it's in a case and it started to choke her and they couldn't, she couldn't pull it off. She couldn't, you know, get it to stop. She couldn't just unattach it. It just kept feeling tighter and tighter around her neck until they eventually had to rip it off. And that's how it ended up in the museum. And I'm thinking like, is this the person who whose mom owned that pearl necklace that reached out? So it that part has been really interesting And seeing people who had been in the museum while they were still around. You know, you could still feel a presence of, you know, it's just as they left it, but nothing will ever be like them giving the tour themselves. Sure. So that that was kind of interesting.
2: And out of those items that you've mentioned so far, is there one that you would want to see turned into the next Conjuring movie?
3: Oh boy, that's interesting. That's a good question. I, you know, I love the Conjuring series, but I'm not crazy about Annabelle, I'll be honest. So I don't know if there's an object, probably the shadow doll, because when I had shared the story of that, a lot of people mentioned to me, I would love to see the shadow doll turned into a film just because I I think that's there for that. And, you know, I think there's, infinite resources that for them to continue making these films i would love to see a film on the smurl case where um, ed and lorraine encountered a succubus in pennsylvania so um pittston pennsylvania is where that case happened so as far as the objects go um i think that it would require the timeline like how the dinosaur actually didn't even appear in his respective film so it's interesting to see how it plays out and what they pick and choose the music box actually didn't exist. So that's really? another interesting detail. Oh, so in the yeah. the first conjuring, you you know, you walk into this museum and you're expecting this beautiful music box and they're like, it doesn't exist and it was just part of the film. So they do they did have the objects, but that wasn't one of them.
2: Oh, that's fascinating. Well, did they have many? So the the shadow doll you mentioned, to me, that makes me think of like voodoo and, and cursing. Were there many objects like that that were used to hurt others? Or were they primarily objects that hurt people that possess the objects, if that makes sense?
3: I would say it seemed like a lot of the objects involved in the museum seemed to just come from private homes. It didn't seem like a lot of those kind of things. There were tulpas things that were intentionally haunted where someone with bad intentions was like i'm going to make something happen with this Hmm. so a lot of people had questions like why are there halloween decorations now obviously the warrens were huge fans of halloween but at the same time they were bringing in these objects simply because they liked them so there's a lot of ouija boards there's about a dozen or so of those um there were there was a teddy ruxpin Uh, a kitty, kitty, kitten, I actually recognized. So to me, it almost felt more authentic that there are these branded items that you wouldn't expect. And again, the validity of the story doesn't matter to me. If someone gave them those objects in fear, I felt that that was interesting enough to comment on.
2: Do you know what set off The Warrens being such a multimedia hit, was it Paramount or one of these companies kind of rediscovering their ventures? Or have they always been something that crosses the threshold of past people just like us who are into this world? Because I mean, really everyday people tend to have some knowing of Ed and Lorraine Warren because of the Conjuring movies and other uh, TV shows and stuff that have been based off of their work.
3: So the warrants have always been in, in the spotlight because once they took the case of Amityville and that connection was made, they became superstars. Hmm. And all of these famous movie cases, the Amityville horror, we're going to look at the, the haunting in Connecticut, a lot of these things that you've already seen, they were involved in in some way. And then the Conjuring universe came, which was kind of Warner Brothers kind of going back and looking at these people. But since Amityville, you know, there's photos of them. They were super involved in that case uh, because a reporter that I actually ended up being on a documentary with, the reporter that made that connection, brought them in. And that's when they kind of skyrocketed the fame. And, you know, I think they spent a lot more time doing lectures. Like a lot of people talk about their fame, but they spent a lot of time at universities doing lectures, running the museum, and just generally being involved in the community in Connecticut.
2: Yeah, that's, that's good to know. I mean, how many items would you say there are between the door and getting to the big event of seeing Annabelle in the display case?
3: There's got to be 500. Really? There's so many items. There are so oh, wow. many items. I, you know, in the film, it just kind of seems like, you know, probably 80 items or so. Yeah. But every shelf has something. And I went back to old videos of Lorraine speaking on the museum and she said everything in this place has come from, some place where someone was harmed or hurt in some way. So um, again, I don't know how documented it is for each of these items. Some of them have labels, some don't. And there's items high and low. There's some of the original paintings from Ed Warren. And then there's basically a wall of objects. There's things that there's idols, there's carved things, there's things from other countries, there's, there's so many things. But there's, again, like I said, these kind of beacon items that people are gravitated towards because they know the story. So I don't know if like a neighbor's like, hey, I don't want this, they took it and kind of put it on the shelf. And those stories are lost in translation. I had friends reaching out to me when I went saying like, hey, keep an eye out for the tiger pelt, like the tiger pelt, like, how do you know about this specific story? So I didn't even know the story on that one. So Um, But it was there. Um, It it almost just looks like a movie set in a way. It's like, how do they have all these very specific items? Like someone could just do a painting and, you know, there's the tiger pelt and the pearl necklace and all of this stuff. I'd honestly like to see like a museum series come
2: out. Yeah, that would be really cool. So I am curious, what's the story behind the tiger pelt?
3: I genuinely don't know (laughs) I that I, my friend just mentioned it. I'm like, how do you even know that exists? So um, I'm not sure of the story. They didn't ask. So their son-in-law actually, before we went in, we were holy watered. So they, um, they bless you before you go in. A lot of people ask the question, like, how do you go into something that these places are, or these objects are considered allegedly dangerous, or she describes them as dangerous. And even Lorraine herself didn't like to look at Annabelle But before we went in, they put holy water on our hands and we did the the cross, which I, I don't personally practice that, but I'm in their house. So I'm going to go through and follow through with their beliefs and respect it the way that they've been doing, because it's obviously working for them. I have no reason to taunt disrespect or, you know. let curiosity get the best of me. There's just no reason for that. So um, the place is blessed uh, periodically. They've been, they have a lot of maintenance that they do in order to keep it enclosed.
2: Probably better to be safe than sorry. Right. Even, I mean, worst case it's all fake and nothing happens, but God forbid, you know, why,
3: why would I need to like guess, you know, (laughs) you know, because when someone tells you like, Hey, I believe that I did this action and now it led to someone's death I have no reason to test that
2: and so as you're going through with the guides are are they letting you kind of ask questions about specific items or are they pointing you to specific items and kind of giving you the rundown of that item
3: so Ed Lorraine's son-in-law Tony he's you know who's going to tell the story better than he is he knows the museum like the back of his hands so he gives the formal tour shows everything and again draws you to the beacon items and then kind of let us have free range to explore the place, which was really interesting, especially to be trusted in that way. Like yeah. okay, do what do what you need to do. Um again for the pop culture significance alone, like there really is a lot of uh, iconic stuff that many, many people in the world have tried to own for themselves and haven't been able to. So being trusted that to, to explore the place on my own was really cool. But um, hearing the stories from him, it's like, well, this is as close as I'm going to get to hearing these as organically as possible
2: right it was did he lit on or give any hedging to what his favorite items in the museum are?
3: He didn't really speak on that, like I said, he covered the the devil made me do it case the the shadow doll, the pearl necklace, all of those objects, and then he kind of spoke to the movie Annabelle, which is there, one of the. Annabelle dolls that they actually featured in the film is in there, which I feel like is very appropriate, that it's kind of like almost like a trophy for their work. And he explained to me that he would love to get one of the music boxes used in the films in there as well, but there isn't one currently. I guess there were two of those created.
2: And before we jump to Annabelle, I I would love to read just a little passage from Wikipedia that kind of explains the significance of Annabelle because it was a good refresher for me because it's been a minute since I've seen the movie. But basically it says, um, according to the Warrens in the year 1968, two roommates claimed their Agathe Ann doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. The Warrens took the doll, telling the roommates it was being manipulated by an inhuman presence and put it on display at the family's museum. The legend of the doll is inspired by several films in the Conjuring universe and is a motif in uh, many others. Can you kind of give us, uh, if you, I'm sure you remember, but kind of the more specific rundown that um, Tony gave you all of Annabelle while you were there?
3: Yep, absolutely. I had questions for him as well because I had been looking into this so much. I'm I live in Hartford, Connecticut, which is where Annabelle came from. So you know what celebrities from the town you live in, and I'm always like Annabelle, you know. And I've I been trying gonna to be like out- me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, and I'm like, oh, which one, you know? And so two nurses were working at Hartford Hospital. One of them received Annabelle as a gift. One of them had a fiance. Now the names they use are Angie and Donna for these people. Um I'm guessing those are pseudonyms. I've tried to kind of pinpoint as much specific factual information from this case as I can. I've been able to reduce it to an interview I found with Ed Warren that took place on VHS, where he says that Annabelle came about four blocks from Hartford Hospital. So they were working at Hartford Hospital, and they lived about four blocks from there. That's the closest I've came because I wanted to find out which apartment complex she came from because I'm curious where this entity came from. So they start having strange experiences. And at first, the first thing that had occurred, Annabelle allegedly was sitting at the table and she lifted her arms and placed them on the table. And they're like, that that was kind of strange. A little. But they they weren't, <laughs> they weren't fearful of her. It progressed into Annabelle writing them notes on parchment paper, which they didn't own parchment paper and it was in crayons and it said, help me help us. This is the point where they call a medium and they call the medium and they ask about the doll. The medium does a little bit of research and says there was an Annabelle Higgins killed in a crash. Just be nice to her, take care of her and things will get better. But the more they were kind to Annabelle, the worse things got. So showing her love seemed to anger her. It And um, it eventually led to the fiance just being like, I hate this doll. He had huge issues with it. And it ultimately, the the pinnacle of the Annabelle story is that Annabelle crawled into bed with him, shimmied up his leg and suffocated or attempted to suffocate him and he threw it off and was like, screw this doll, like completely done with that. So they involved the Warrens. The Warrens advised the girls that Annabelle actually was not Annabelle Higgins, but she did hold that name. Um, it kind of stuck after that, but that's where the name Annabelle came from. They said it was a non-human spirit and malicious, and they were going to take it off their hands. They actually um, got this pastor from Hartford, and he did an exorcism on the doll, and I, I was even looking into that, I'm like, oh, th- this all fact checks, like that, that pastor is, you know, still practicing, and I don't, I'm sure he doesn't want his name attached to that, but that Definitely happened and the Warrens took the back roads home. Knowing that this doll meant harm, they wanted to be as careful as possible. So they take their car, they're taking the back roads home, and the car breaks down. Ed has holy water in his pocket because he always carried it in that jacket that you see in all the images. And he reached back and he dumped holy water on the doll. The car was able to start and they bring her back to the museum. All should be well at this point. However, uh one of the priests comes over and basically sees Annabelle, and Ed's like, don't touch anything, and he becomes overcome by the doll and says, God is more powerful than the devil, and he throws the doll. This is before she's encased, obviously. She's kind of free sitting on the shelf, and on his way back from the museum, I guess he gets a vision of Annabelle, and he crashes his car into a truck. He totals his new car, and he he lives, but from that time period on, he would he would attend the Warren's lectures and kind of cover his face a little bit like, I don't want to see this doll anymore. One thing I did debunk is there are some podcasts out there that have talked about Annabelle having blood on her. What I believe that is, is she's a 70s rag doll. When that cotton gets wet, it kind of gets that like water ring. So I'm mm. guessing that they assumed that that was blood and it just kind of got lost in lore. So I did ask the son-in-law and he said, no, there was never blood on Annabelle. And there is not currently blood on Annabelle. So after the guy's accident, they encase Annabelle and they use holy water for the stain and they put some prayers on there. And she's kind of hermetically sealed in a way. Hmm. Now, this is where Annabelle kills someone, allegedly. So some museum goers go in and it's a boy and his girlfriend. And they're walking around and they see the doll and then they get on their motorcycle and head out after they're done. He taunted the doll in person, which is one thing the Warrens always advocated for people not to do is to taunt evil spirits or because or challenge them, which is also what happened in the Conjuring Three. Arnie kind of challenged the spirit to leave. David Glatzel and enter him instead. So on the way home, they're kind of laughing at how ridiculous they thought the doll was. They veer off the road and he's killed in the accident. And the girlfriend is in the hospital for about a year and then she contacts the Warrens and said, you know, Annabelle killed him. So, you know, I kind of take these things as face value, like this happened or this did not happen. I don't i'm unaware of any records that definitively say that it is a story that has been repeated for many years but i don't exactly i can't say hey i found a newspaper article for that um but i did do a lot of deep dives into it
0: hey friends it's fred greenhouse here producer and head of audio here at realm this new show i think you'll be interested in called ominous thrill it's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction in its next episode titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's the short preview. You want to know why? Okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen, what it would be like, feel like. I just... I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen.
1: As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify. shopify.com slash realm.
2: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at shipstation.com and use the code pod. That's shipstation.com with the code POD. Yeah, hey, I think that's the super difficult thing with a lot of these stories and even getting to see the artifacts in person. Is there's so much legend and lore built around the Warrens, especially at this time. I mean, so much time has passed. It's it's given lots of people, podcasts, TV, movies, you know, opportunities to really sensationalize what happened. But what I think is so cool is that you were selected as somebody who got to go in and see it for yourself. You know, you got to feel these things. You got not necessarily physically feel them, but you know, you got to be in the presence of the items and see if you felt like something reached out to you or, you know, and and really explore that museum even on your own, which like you said, that's kind of wild that they let people do that with all the stuff that's collected there. Mm -hmm. What would you say will be your greatest memory from visiting the museum?
3: I think even meeting Annabelle was I, I I can only put so much weight into haunted objects. Personally, I'm not a huge haunted object believer. I recently started delving into it, but I'm not super involved like with the haunted dolls that we see so much online, I'm a little more skeptical of. But Again, the history, the most important or like powerful moment to me was walking into Ed Warren's office as he left it and seeing what that was like, because it's like, this is what it would have looked like if I were doing this. In the 70s and 80s and I was seeing his reel to reels and his old tape decks that he would, he didn't have like the digital recorders that we have or laptops or apps or anything. And seeing his books, the typewriter that he wrote those books on um, a house blessing booklet that a church had given Lorraine to review and all of the copies of his books on the shelf, his paintings, the jacket he wears and so many of the iconic photos and on the investigations. It was just like, wow, this is so if I felt something there, it was being in that office. And again, it's like you could just imagine him going and sitting down. It's been kept that way. I actually got to see his his last rights kit that he would use during some of these investigations. So his cross and all that those things that were involved in that that was really just like whoa
2: that's crazy and i'm guessing they probably didn't let you handle any of those artifacts
3: so you're not allowed to touch anything in the museum tony did open those objects and show them to us so i was able to see it but you're not allowed to touch anything at all in the museum and i I had no reason to touch it
2: (laughs) and how much videography were you that you allowed to do while you were there
3: So I had about four hours to myself in the museum. I actually had some friends kind of helping me out that I was like, Hey, you want to, you know, you know, have a weird Wednesday and go check out the Warren's (laughs) museum because it's like, this is once in a lifetime. I'm going to take people I care about and let them see it too. And after we got the tour, we had about four hours to just kind of take everything in four hours. was not enough. I could spend a whole day there. So I explored the whole museum in its entirety. I went out back and I saw the gazebo that was dedicated to Lorraine Warren. It was a gift from Ed to her. And again, you know, you see that transpire in the films, but seeing it in person, it's like, wow, I can picture them being here and doing that. Like this was all very real. And then just going into his office and spending some time in there and seeing, you know, the work that was behind it, because, I think seeing the office, I guess, makes it more believable because he had to have an office. It wasn't just like, you know, we put all these things in here and we've turned it into a tourist trap. It's like he had to document these cases.
2: It made it seem like he actually was doing the legwork to mm-hmm. facilitate all these, you know, haunted claims he was making. Yep. Have you, from any pictures or videos that you were able to take, have you seen anything spooky in there?
3: No, there was, when I first walked in, there's a video that I thought was so interesting because as I walk in, somehow my shadow must have reflected. That's the only way I can explain it. My shadow must have reflected on the shadow doll because as I walk in, the shadow walks towards me, which Hmm. I didn't really understand how that was maintained. Um, I only got a weird kind of vibe when I was taking a photo in front of Annabelle, but even then there's nothing really in the Annabelle photos. And then when I filmed Ed's office, this is so funny. I posted a video and all these people are like, nice job with the the thing in the mirror at the end. You really nice touch with the mirror. And I'm like, what do you mean? Nice touch. And I'm looking, I'm like, what are these people seeing in the mirror? So I don't know. Some people think I saw, I saw something, but I didn't see anything, but um, I've watched it over and over. I'm like, do they think there's a face in the mirror? Like what's going on with that?
2: Oh, that's interesting. Well, have you had any weird dreams or anything like that since you visited?
3: So I found myself thinking about Annabelle and I'm not, a like I said, I'm not a huge Annabelle person. And I always see these people that are super into her and they buy the dolls and the replicas and and they're talking about her all the time. And it's just like a huge horror icon for them. But after like, the, the next few days after meeting her, I couldn't stop thinking about her. And the people are like, what are you thinking? I'm like, she's so cute. Like, that's <laughs> what I think. was like, Annabelle's just so cute. Like, I, I want to get like a picture of her, a print of her or something. And, and they're like, what? I'm like, I don't know who I am because I, you, you know, we've talked enough that, you know, I'm like pretty skeptical. I'm not a huge haunted object person. I definitely stay away from the more demonic or sure. evil side of paranormal investigating. So for me to even care about, Annabelle was just like, who have I become? And now that weeks have passed, I'm kind of past the Annabelle glow. But for a minute, sure. I was like, I think I'm obsessed.
2: <laughs> what well, now that you've, you know, ventured in, you know, right into the layer of the Warrens, would you be more interested in physically being present during a real exorcism?
3: Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I think that would just be too much because regardless of whether or not the person is experiencing something psychological or they're genuinely experiencing something paranormal, that emotion for me as someone who's sensitive, I, I can't witness someone in pain that way. Um, I I just don't know what I think of all that kind of stuff. And I've been on investigations where things have been heavy and emotional and felt dark. And I, I don't always give that weight to the paranormal. Sometimes I think it's just chemistry between the people or something else going on, but I just don't think it, I would want to be present for that um, regardless of whether or not I believe the person was possessed by a demon or something because you see those videos and things attached. Those people are in the darkest times of their life and I don't know if I'll ever be emotionally, spiritually or whatever equipped to be present for that it's not my realm i'm not a demonologist i'm not going to say anything about demonologists i've I've encountered some really cool people involved in the field who have said you know in 40 years of whatever working in that they've only encountered four demons so Hmm. i think it's very very rare that that's truly what's going on so just an interesting yeah it's different side of the world
2: in that field you know especially if you go to the most traditional parts of it with the Catholic church. They don't really like to talk about exorcisms and it's hard. I've reached out to even people that have broken away from the Catholic church that claim they performed exorcisms and it's hard to get a response from any of them. You know, they kind of just say like, this is what I did. This is what happened, but they're really not for for most of them. They're not looking to gain exploits by publicizing, Mm -hmm. uh, doing exorcisms, which I think is what fascinates me so much, uh, just as somebody who loves to interview people and enjoys talking to, you know, psychics and mediums and all that stuff. I think somebody who the them themselves believe that they are taking a holy power and cleansing somebody of a, a demon, it just feels so much bigger than life. And like, uh, fantasy that I, I, I just want to really talk to somebody who's done it, and and that is like a believable, trustworthy person. I think that would be so fascinating.
3: Apparently, from speaking to some pretty guarded people in the field, true demonologists are like able to be counted on one hand um, um, because they have to be ordained in a very specific way. So, there's a lot of people who I. I still call them demonologists, but they are not actually demonologists. There's what I consider the demonology crowd. So, you know, I kind of divide my paranormal universes up. And there's people who I think align with me. And then I would say there's people who, you know, kind of have beacons of mainly TV shows or influential figures that they look to for their information. And, you know, this is where I categorize the demonology crowd and I'm friends with demonologists. I respect these demonologists. I'm not going to criticize their work or question anything about them, but I just can say that it's out of my wheelhouse. And I think that the people who are genuinely kind of involved with it, they're not talking about it publicly and they are truly trying to, Help people or do what they have faith in working for them.
2: I've talked about it before on the podcast, but I watched the series Evil um, not too long ago, and it 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 again kind of reignited my fascination with you know people getting exorcisms. And I I went down this TikTok and YouTube rabbit hole, and I mean, like you were saying, the audio alone of when you do find you know, people that are claiming that, Hey, this is a real exorcism. This is what it sounded like. It's horrifying. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's real or not, but some of them, people, a lot of people claim like, okay, yes, this one is allegedly a real exorcism. You know, there's one yeah. or two specifically and the the guttural sound that the, I would call yeah. them victims make it, If it's not real, then they deserve an Oscar or there's just some severe mental illness because it's, it's truly horrifying.
3: Right. And that's why I say, you know, I, that's not my business to watch. Now, say maybe 20 years from now, someone's like, you can help in this, that I have some magical thing that was given to me and I'm able to genuinely help the person who's suffering okay i'll be there i would do anything to help another person but to just see it on the sidelines with no reason i i don't think that anyone needs to be spiritually exploited or their mental yeah. health or vulnerability being shown in that way
2: well i mean that's the tricky part about this field in general you know mm-hmm. we try to be real careful with who we interview and episodes we post because it's just you know, it's a very niche topic. It's it's a sensitive topic, so you really have to try to be careful. But what if the reason they invited you to the museum is because they want you to be the next the next great investigator? You know, you're going to wake <laughs> up one day, and then the the cross will be in the mail, and then the notebook. And
3: <laughs> uh, I just you know, I would send it right back. Thank <laughs> you for having faith in me, but you know, I, it's just the the Catholic side of investigating. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's a lot of things that have gone sort of overlooked by mm. looking at paranormal investigating with only one lens. Sure. And I often tell people this, uh, my hairdresser was cutting my hair recently, and she said, do you believe in reincarnation? Mm. Now, if I believe in reincarnation, what does that mean for all of the other things that I believe? But if I say I don't, then I'm talking to someone who is a practicing Buddhist and saying that I don't believe in that. So, um, especially like, um, you said, I was a mortician. I've worked with families who have practiced everything. Monks I've seen, you know, Hindu funerals and all of the ways that people approach the afterlife. And I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to decolonize ghost stories and stop attributing, um, certain cultures for negative entities and bringing up the conversation that, Hey, we can't blame indigenous practices for our hauntings all the time we do need to do some legwork there and the same with um, using people who were enslaved to be the content of ghost stories and opening them up to the public and saying so and so did this and this dark history is involved and it's it's not our place to sit here and blame marginalized communities I think it contributes it perpetuates racism and I know that's a very niche topic but it's something I'm very passionate about that if we're using fear and in attaching it to these things so a lot of the catholic side of investigating actually talks about you know like you said like voodoo stuff um things that were involved in other cultures rituals that they're not going to harm us and the only thing i've really encountered in the film field involving other cultures is when I see someone using something that doesn't belong to them. Like a lot of these houses, you have a white person with a dream catcher, a white person using white sage, which has been requested by indigenous people to be left behind and not used. I, it creates what I consider like a spiritual muck. So maybe not negative energy, not, not negative energy, not demonic, nothing like that. But just this feeling of you're doing something that doesn't belong to you and it's creating something that's not working for you. Mm. And it's just like this kind of residue. And I've been through to a few public haunted places where I'm like, oh, this is happening because you're doing things that don't belong to you.
2: Yeah, that's definitely some good food for thought. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else from your adventure that you'd like to share with the audience?
3: The last thing I guess I should say is that if anyone would like to meet these objects themselves, they are able to go to the Warren's Paracon at Mohegan Sun, October 29th, which is hosted by Nesper. That's the foundation that the Warren's did Hosts, So they'll be able to meet Annabelle for themselves. Um, And a lot of people, the first thing they say is if they're so dangerous and demonic, how are they moving them? But there have been a few viral videos out there. I don't know if you've seen them, but Nesper puts holy water on their hands and gloves before picking up Annabelle and moving her into her travel case. So she has a little travel carrier, like like going to the vet or something.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, most importantly, if our fans for some reason, have not followed you yet and are not following your content, which I know a lot of them are, how can they find all the awesome stuff that you've got going on?
3: Well, I'm still posting on My Bloody Galentine on TikTok and Instagram. I still haven't really taken off the YouTube other than sharing shorts there. And I recently started a project that's called Haunted Hotels Live that people are gonna see from. It's a panel of other investigators who have a lot more experience than me uh, that are going to be doing live sessions from haunted hotels and we have a whole lineup with that involved and um i can't say anything else but i do i can say that there are some things on the horizon that are going to be very big and different soon so well
2: becky thank you Yeah, absolutely. Well, Becky, thank you so much for coming on another episode of the Real Hauntings podcast. It has been a joy to get to know you as a person and follow your experiences and kind of live vicariously through all (laughs) the amazing haunted content that surrounds you. Um, I think this is just the beginning of your story. I think the real great things are just, um, you know, yet to come. So make sure to keep us in the loop. Keep coming back and, and sharing with our fans. I know they always enjoy you coming on the podcast.
3: Of course, yep. You're always the first person that I have to tell something exciting happened to.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, with that, I'm Noah Daniels.
3: Oh, do I? <laughs> and I'm Becky.
2: <laughs> we can do it again. I just wanted to throw in your laugh and see what would happen. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you can't do me like
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I'm Noah Daniels.
3: And I'm Becky, aka My Bloody Galentine.
4: Ooh, ooh. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But...